the University of California Riverside presents Blue, Gold, and Black, the podcast that's dedicated to amplifying Black voices at UCR. I'm Dominique Bill from UCR's Community Engagement and Outreach Unit. In each episode, we'll be talking to UCR students, campus leaders, and community partners to explore the intersection of being Black and being a Highlander at UCR. And I can't wait for you to meet today's guest. Let's get started. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Blue, Gold, and Black podcast. I'm your host, Dominique Bill. Today, we have a special guest. Kevin Martin is going to be joining us. We're going to be talking to Kevin about his past experiences, his upbringing, um, and how he brings all of those experiences into UCR and the way that he supports students. He's going to tell us more specifically about his role here at UCR. Um, And we're super happy to have you on today. Kevin, thank you for joining us. How are you doing, sir? I'm good. I'm good. I'm I'm good as best as we all could be doing yes, during this pandemic. Yes, Thank you for having me. Thank you all for doing this. This is awesome. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Um, and you know, I, your comment just now, we're we're doing as good as we can be. You know, I I, I do want to kind of give a quick shout out to uh, Jacob Blake, the brother who was you know recently um, assaulted in an act of police brutality. Um, and luckily, he still has his life. So, uh, you know, peace and respect. That's a good word. Yeah, pe- peace and respect. Yes, sir. Peace and respect to you know his family and the people um, out there in the streets fighting for justice. But um, you know, outside of that, thank you, sir, um, for being here. Uh, we really appreciate your time. Uh, we really appreciate your stories. So, real quick, just go ahead and tell um, our audience what, what what exactly is your position and your role here at UCR, really briefly. Sure. Well, well um, along with being a real model, I'm, I don't say I'm a role model, I'm a real model. Because, you know, mm-hmm. we make mistakes and we're human. So mm-hmm. I like to go by a philosophy of a real model. A role model plays a role. Mm-hmm. I don't want to play mm-hmm. a role. I want to be a real model. So mm-hmm. currently I'm the uh, director for competitive sports over in the Student Recreation Center. Um, have about 80 to 90 I employ about 80 to 90 students um, wow. every year mm-hmm. with three direct reports of uh, full-time professional staff. Uh, but, yeah, so so been at UCR be 15 years, actually, um, next month on the uh, gotcha. 5th of mm-hmm. September. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're getting right around, you know, in prayers to my family in Baton Rouge and Houston right now because mm-hmm. there's mm-hmm. a Category 4 storm headed their way. Yes. And this is right around the time that, that you know, mm-hmm. Hurricanes happen in the South, so right. um, uh, kind of glad to be in California at this point that I don't have to deal with that stuff. <laughs> yes. yes, sir. Yes, sir. No doubt. So, you know, thank you for sharing that. So, you know, you manage the student recreation, uh, student sports at the recreational center. Um, been here for 15 years. So talk to us a little bit about where you come from. You just mentioned right now your family down in Louisiana, down in Texas. Uh, talk to us a little bit about uh, where you grew up. Absolutely. Um, so I'm, a, I'm, I'm I'm what they call a boot boy. Mm-hmm. And a boot boy kind of sounds, if you're from Louisiana, it's only, uh, it's the only uh, state that looks like a boot. Right. So you ever hear anybody refer to they going to the boot? Um, they're talking about uh, uh, Louisiana. So I was born in what we call the red stick of Baton Rouge. Mm. And uh, uh, was there about five, six years. And uh, we transitioned to uh, Texas. 
Um, I'm probably uh, one of the only people in my family, my entire family, that was born to a midwife. And I've been like, what's a midwife? What is that? Well, that's when you're not born in the hospital. You're delivered naturally from my great-great-grandmother delivered me uh, oh, wow. from my mother. So I was born to an actual midwife who was uh, who, uh, who my great-grandmother, great-grandmother, mother was a slave. Mm. So I uh, wasn't born in a hospital. I uh, was born naturally in a house on the side of the road in uh, Baton Rouge. So wow. I, I always find that kind of unique about myself that I was actually, I wasn't born in a hospital. Yeah. They did all mm. that stuff two or three weeks after I've been out the womb three weeks, man. Wow. Fighting when they got mm. checked out and all that stuff. But that was back in those days, in those early 80s and uh, late uh, 70s. We wound up moving to Texas. Um, uh, my father uh, transitioned jobs at the time. Um, he had gotten himself in a little trouble in Louisiana and forced us to go to Texas. Uh, so I spent most of my life in Texas or, there I say, going uh, back and forth or whatever. Um, grew up to a very strong uh, mother, powerful black woman, strong black woman, mm. my best friend mm-hmm. now. Um she raised four of us. Uh, my dad got a couple of outside kids, too, so six of us total. But uh, she raised four of us. And we had one of those traditional homes where it was always open to everybody. Mm-hmm. You know, get put out your house and cousins staying with you. Yeah, I'm pretty sure we all kind of know how that go. We all we all in there as one family. Uh, my mother was a single parent, though. My father uh, uh, left us when I was about eight. Um, so she had to raise, leaving her to raise these uh, boys, and I have one sister mm. um, by mm. herself. Uh, and I was in Texas. She did the best she could. She really did. Uh, but when you when you grow up in a single parent household, your mother can only do so much. She can only uh, exuberate so much strength. You right. know what I mean? Mm. Uh, but I love her to this day for everything she's done for me. Mm-hmm. And I always mm-hmm. tell people I am who I am because of my mother. You know, because of how she modeled the way for me. And even though I got in, got in a, you know, some trouble and stuff like that in the streets, uh, my mother was always there to uh, push me in the right direction, uh, but also tell me when I'm dead wrong. And uh, you can appreciate somebody like that. And to this day, she's like that. And it's, it's funny how this life thing works, Dominique, because now I feel like I take care of her helping her write things at her job, things she's not familiar with in regards to technology. Um, if she needs money or anything, it's like you take care of your mother now because of everything she did to me. Um, wound up um, graduating in Texas. Um, was going to go to school at LSU. Um, I did their summer bridge program. And uh, my mother said I needed to go get out of that environment and go to an environment uh, where I could actually learn some diversity. Mm. So when you grew up in a, grew up in the hood, or there, are, there I say the streets or the projects, you just around your people, mm. which makes you love your people. It makes so, you engulf with just your people. Yeah. So let, let's let's talk on let's talk on that just just a little bit because I do want you to kind of talk to us about how throughout your childhood and you you know coming into your young manhood. Um, you know, what what role did blackness play for you? Um, you know, whether it's you said what pa- role did 
what role did blackness play for you? So, you know, through your heritage, through your mother, your father, like how is your blackness, you know, reinforced in the home? How was it reinforced out in, you know, the world um, throughout your early childhood, your young adult life? Okay. Yeah. Great question, man. Um, So we've always been raised to protect one another. Um, It was so peculiar how my mother and father kind of engraved some of these things in us. So just a a little uh, history. My, uh, My father is Haitian. Um, he is from Haiti, um, and he's very, uh, very, a very, very liberal. There, I say, liberal, old school African American believes in a lot of ways. He still believes in heavy corporal punishment, mm-hmm. um, and he always had this thing about him is to make sure you take care of us first, um, which was interesting. A little different than my mom; she was like that as well. Her thing was take care of us, but also appreciate the people that's helping us mm-hmm. along the way where my father was kind of just kind of the polar opposite of take care of us always first, always first. And, uh, you know, he, he always had this thing about him where he talked about being black and how unique being black is and really giving us some historical content of, you know, uh, all of his the pioneers that he he grew up on, like the Marcus Garveys of the world, uh, uh, the Malcolm X's, all these strong black pioneers, and he tried to when he could engrave that in us when we did see him or whatever. But my mother spent a lot of time uh, really focuses on people like Dr. King along the way, the Reverend Al Sharpton. She 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 focused on those people and kind of almost just trying to get us to the table. I think what really propelled you to understand who you are and your skin color was how you are treated in the South or how you're looked at in the South. You know, um, I'm never one that's ever going to talk about the race card because I truly know what it means to be pulled over, racially profiled, uh, because it happens a lot to us. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are some that would think it's a farce. But I got to tell you, even at a young age, we saw just what we meant to a portion of white people. And that's not saying all of them, because one of the best, greatest people I know is white that helped me get to California by financing some of my uh, apartment costs and fees that I need to pay to get out here. And that lady was white. Mm. But there is a majority of there's a certain section in Texas and Baton Rouge that just never going to change. When you when you drive down the street and you see the Confederate flags, mm. that really tells you what they think about you. You know, uh, and I know they have this it's Southern heritage, um, but the people that utilize that flag in the South means the South will rise again. And they'll tell you that. That's what they're hoping, that the South will rise again. So my mother really instilling us to understand who we are at all times and at the end of the day you are a black young man coming up and you have to be notice that, understand that and harness that mm-hmm. and be proud of that um, kind of made me to who I am today man to be honest Wow and so now talk to us kind of about like your educational experience. So what what was high school like for you? And, sure. you know, what kind of set you on that path to 
higher education. Okay. Um, you know, so education, especially in our families, man, it seems like it's really it's really preached a lot because your your parents appear to want you to be better than them. That's their whole goal in life for you is to they preach my mother preached to get an education. My brother my mother preached to go to college. Um, thank God for sports. And I'll say that because that really helped me get out of the streets and really have something to focus my energy on, something, something to, to, to transpire to, um, another network, um, and forming some other camaraderies versus those that we have in the streets that are kind of dealing in things that I shouldn't be doing. Mm-hmm. Um, so I graduated high school from a, it's a, a school called Riverwich High School right outside of Houston, Texas. And uh, I knew then I was going to college. I had already had um, an acceptance letter from Sam Houston State University. And I was going to go over there and play ball. And I was excited. You know, you know, when you're playing football, man, in high school, you can be, you know, this taught me a lot. And I thought, you know, running a five flat in the 40, maxing out 340, 350, you know, squatting 400. Oh, man, this guy's a beast. You know, you're a beast in high school. Until you get to college and you say, damn, <laughs> wait a minute, wait a minute. He's, he's 300 pounds. He runs a 4.7. What? And he's and 19. He find you- <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey, you find yourself second or third string, man. Quick. And it's, and it's, it's, <laughs> Humble. It's, it's humbling. Thank you. You took it the words on my mouth. Yes. It's humbling, man. It's humbling. Then I look at the work ethic you put into. Man, I, I had all these admirations about going to college. I'm going to do this. I may go to the league. And you get there and you just like, ah, man, this ain't fun no more. This is, <laughs> this is, this is a job. This is a job, man. It's a yeah, 1,000%. Job. So, um, I remember we had a game against McNeese State and uh, I got hurt. And after that, uh, you know, I had you know, you in college and you go into these parties and you know, uh you're seeing all these fraternities, you kinda start wondering, okay, this is a one in lifetime experience. And I always tell college students this dominate, enjoy your college experience. Mm. Because mm. once it's gone, man, all you have is your memories. Mm. I loved college. I absolutely love college. I enjoy my time and I'm glad you know, stop playing football was one of the best decisions in my life, to be honest, mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. I was able to really expand my horizons um, in regards to just diversifying myself at Sam Houston State University. Sam Houston was a predominantly white school at the time. Mm-hmm. And I said, in order for me to truly understand everything my mother's been teaching me about white people, meaning I need to learn how to articulate myself. At this time, Dominique, I had a strong accent, man. I was doing all the yo and all that old street mm. ebonic mm-hmm. talk. Hey, ain't nothing wrong with it. I ain't going to ever knock it because when I'm with my family, I do revert back. Mm. But mm-hmm. to be a unique black man, you got to know how to, how to, well, what I like to call uh, uh, morph into these different roles in life because that's, that, that's what is expected of us. When I'm with my family, I'm going to go be the same Kevin but a different language. I'm going to be the same guy, 
but a different style. Same substance. I'm going to keep the same substance always, mm-hmm. but I'm going to have a different style for the people in the rooms, the groups and the networks we're in because right. that's, what is, that's what's expected of us and that's what gets us to the next level. So I had to learn that at Sam Houston and I can appreciate Sam Houston for teaching me that and, and, and learning about in, in full honesty, how to navigate through conversations, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. when I'm dealing with racism or I'm dealing with trying to be progressive in regards to bettering things for Black people, mm. and I agree with you, um, and I do think you know, and I it's a fine line that you kind of have to walk because you know one of the phrases that comes to my mind is code switching. Right. Um, And not being able to, you know, be your quote unquote self in certain uh, settings to make people comfortable. Right. Um, Right. But one one thing that I like that you said is that the substance never changes. You know what I'm saying? Maybe my style, maybe my flow, maybe the way I articulate it changes. Um, But my message is my message. And, you know, and when it comes to kind of sticking to the essence or making sure you're staying true to quote unquote, your black identity, the substance never changes. So I appreciate you framing it that way um, because, you know, code switching is a problem. Right. Um, But I also like the way that you phrased it when you said, you know, when I'm around my family, I speak another language, right? Because African-American vernacular it to an extent is its own language, right? Or preach, bro. Exactly. So, you know, I, I think, you know, for those of us who, who who are maybe navigating that experience, right, not wanting to, quote unquote, code switch, um, but finding the right way to still maintain the substance, but maybe a different style for it for a different scenario or a different situation. Yes, sir. Yeah. So. Taking all of that now, talk to me a little bit about, you know, some of the experiences um, that you went through throughout college that kind of helped reinforce that whole idea of you being able to navigate in certain situations um, and kind of articulate or maybe come to know more of yourself to articulate it in a different way to different groups of people? Absolutely. Um, so surprisingly, you know, so let me just back up just a tad. In Texas, you can get real complacent and get a kinesiology degree and being a coach and a teacher Mm. Marry, and that's what you do every day. Mm. And mm-hmm. hey, guess what? You're impacting children. You're impacting students. So I love that. I would love that lifestyle. I mean, it's it's, it's an honorable lifestyle. Mm-hmm. But what I wanted to do again was to truly understand who I who I who I was as a person, and really try to diversify myself as best I could. Mm-hmm. Uh, because you know. When you're talking with people that's been around the world and you can't really hold a conversation about ethnicities and stuff like that, mm. you realize that you're ignorant. Mm. And it's tough to admit that to yourself. And I had to admit that, that, man, I'm ignorant. And it's not it's no fault of my own. It's just the way you grew up. Yeah. So I chose to go and be a thespian. People are like, what? Wait a minute. You want to be a theater major? You know, it's like shocking. Well, I said, well, hold on. I'm still going to be an education major as well. But I want to be a theater major because out of all the degrees at Sam Houston, theater majors had people coming from everywhere mm. to act, mm-hmm. to be different roles, 
um, and to also also understand who lesbians are. The theater people, that, that whole group is a special group. And what I mean by that is that they are just who they are. There is no faking, and they are who they are all day, every day. Mm. And it's unreal, you know, that they stay acting out. And what I mean by that is that uh, whether we're in a classroom, whether we're walking on the yard, whether we're going to see a show, they're going to be themselves. So in order for me to learn about these different ethnicities and these different people and why they wanted to be theater majors, I had to go and be a theater major. And to be honest, I enjoyed acting. I didn't want to, you don't want to tell the people in the hood, man, I want to be an actor. You know, you get laughed at. You get laughed right about the hood. But I had always wanted to test my acting skills. And, hey, man, I got to be honest. Um, I'm a firm believer in spiritual gifts. Mm-hmm. And when I learned how to articulate, Dominic, I took off in the theater department, man. Mm-hmm. I got cast mm-hmm. at least two or three shows every year because I could now articulate. And so you say, what did that take? Well, I had to get, an, I had to get a speech coach. I had to get a speech coach to, to help me not not get rid of my Louisiana dialect, but suppress it and know how to enunciate. Mm. And you're a little offended at first. Wow, you, you don't have a voice to stage. Like if you're on stage, people wonder why we can't understand this, what this person is saying. Mm. And that was real telling to me, man. That is that is that is that is one of the best decisions again that shaped who I am by through those experiences. I'm going to tell you another thing. So a lot of theater majors are also outcasts. Mm. You hate to say it like that, but they are. There's a lot of the LGBTQ community there. Mm-hmm. There are black people. There are Indian people. Mm. And it almost seems like they've made a, this coalition of we're going to be great within ourselves because we have this thing that we can turn to in acting. We can get lost in acting. We can be different people in acting, man. And it was, And it was really just a self-gratifying thing to be able to do that sometimes. Mm-hmm. To not think about the neighborhood, to not think about the drugs, my brother's sick, getting in trouble and all that stuff. Uh, mm-hmm. People fighting in the gangs. It was just, it was such a different experience for me, man. Mm-hmm. And that's really kind of shaped my thought process on diversifying yourself and really challenging yourself to have different levels to you. And then when you do that, Dominic, you, it's called, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a huge believer in self-discovery. Mm. You discover so much about the depths of who Kevin is, mm-hmm. or the depths of who Dominique is. When you really step out there, and you're like, I didn't know I had that in me to do a show um, written by William Shakespeare. Mm. That doesn't happen. But I got cast in a show by William Shakespeare, and you're just like, wait, now that you're the only brother in the show, and that's telling. That's mm-hmm. that was important to me. Mm-hmm. Um, some other things that happened while I was at Sammy that kind of shaped. Who I am was understanding how racist Huntsville was. So mm-hmm. Huntsville, Texas, is probably one of the most um, racist little towns in Texas, man. That's what wow. a school is. And uh, I can remember the police coming to our dorms, and you know, <laughs> it's funny. We're, 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 as we, when you got your crowd and your people, your little network in college. Y'all hang, man. That's just who y'all are. And I can remember the police coming to our dorms one night because of loud music. Now, we out in the lobby area. There mm-hmm. was no music. We all just ESPN. Never going to forget this. ESPN. They come in. 
They talk to the RA. The RA tell them what a noise is to go upstairs. They turned and came to us first and was asking us, we got we got some noise complaints. Um, I'm going to need you all to go back to your room. And you know me, I, I already knew the lobby was, you can be there all night if you want to. So mm-hmm. I'm be honest, man. I was one of, I'm one of them dudes that I pushed the green. Mm-hmm. And I remember having my book out, and one of my boys, hey, man, let's just go. Name was Cody. Now, Cody's a white dude. Now, he's one of my best friends to this day. Mm-hmm. They didn't say nothing to him. They addressed myself, this guy named Brandon and Cliff. And we're like, man, we, no, we're we having a study hall right now. And they said, well, could we, till we understand who's making all the noise, we're sitting there about to tell your room. And I said, y'all don't have authority to send me to my room. Mm-hmm. This is my house right now. This lobby, I pay for this in my, in my student fees. I ain't going nowhere. Mm-hmm. Man, do you know these guys put us against the wall, checked us, ID'd us right there in the dorms. Right there in the dorms. And the whole time, man, I was saying, that's back when I was raw. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's back when I was raw. I was saying everything under the sun. And until they told me, you say one more word, we're going to arrest you for disorderly conduct in the dorms. And I said, well, my mother ain't got no money to get me out. Now I got to understand, even though we all know this is wrong, be quiet so I can live or I can yeah, live to tell this another day. Mm. So I went down, man, that next, that very next day, went down and, and, and wrote a complaint. On, on all three of them. There was one that, he, you can look at his face, he knew it was wrong, but he wouldn't say anything. And that's part of the problem, man. Yeah. You know, he didn't say anything. So things like that, man, they they, they happen. Mm-hmm. They happen mm-hmm. all the time. Uh, uh, not, not necessarily to me, but to other black males and females, mm-hmm. they were getting hassled by the Huntsville Police Department up in Huntsville. Yeah. And, you know, I think, and it's I guess that kind of just speaks to the uniqueness of, you know, college and universities. Right. Like, you know, in 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 one in one sense, you can get so much culture, so much education, so much knowledge about other groups of people and things like that. Um, but you still can also be confronted like, you know, with the very ugly side of our, um, society all in that place. Right. And it's, you know, a matter of, you know, who can occupy space, um, who belongs, um, and things like that. And, you know, it's, it presents, you know, a, a very, very unique set of challenges, especially when it comes to black students, right, who have to go through these types of things at their institutions and um, at their universities. So talk to me about, you know, you're getting ready to move on beyond college, right? You're getting ready to graduate. Um Talk to me about the process of you pursuing a career after college and kind of what led you to UCR. Okay, yeah. So California was always on my um, radar mm-hmm. to uh, as one of the places that I wanted to, you know, put my roots down. Um, you know, in the South, California has always been kind of revered. You know, back then, y'all had Tupac and Snoop. <laughs> Should the West Coast versus East Coast, you know, and we were in we're in the South, but 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 we all we all understand that you know we all kind of want to be out here, you know, and all that stuff is going on. But unfortunately, you know, we were in the South, um, mm-hmm. 
but so that always that, that's always been on my radar to come to California. Mm. Um, so I had my I know I was gonna get my degree in in uh, acting, theater, and film, and I also had a backup to where I was go you know just do education. And I said um, during this time through college, man, I was doing this thing called intramural sports, and I was also working facilities. Mm. Um, and with that, um, that's also a career in itself. And, and there, you know, in recreational sports, I've really transpired as a supervisor and a referee for facility operations and um, intramural sports. So, man, I said, this is a possible career, and I loved it. Mm-hmm. So I said, you know what? You know, why not try to go to California, act, and also do the recreational sports thing? Cool. Okay, that, that, that was kind of my plan. Um, so I'm looking, I'm looking, and then I see a UCLA internship. Mm. I said, UCLA is in the heart of Los Angeles. Why not, man? I applied, interviewed. You know, they told me they love me. I think it's mainly because of my accent. I came out, man, and it was, uh, I ain't going to lie, man. <laughs> it was a culture shock. Yeah. I yeah. was like, man, I, I want to go home. Oh, wow. <laughs> because the weather was great. But, man, I came out thinking Cali has Southern Hospitality. But that's where you're ignorant. You should have done your research. No. No. You speak to people, nobody will speak at all. Look at you like, why are you talking to me? I'm like, man, is people really like that out here? You know, but I can appreciate the diversity, man. Mm. That, that, that was the most single important thing that I got here. Because I had never seen some of these people. And then just had going through orientation, ask people where they were from, mm. and then hearing all these different places, I was like, "Man, where is that?" So they showed me on the map. Man, that was that was so gratifying that again you realize, well, I'm still a little ignorant to the world, mm. you know, uh, in regards to just knowing things that I should know. But you know, I thought about it when you in those lower income schools. This is like we talk about the system. They ain't teaching that, man. You, you're not learning that. So how would you know any of that? You know, going even just going to Sam Houston. So um, so wound up being a pretty good internship. At the time, there was a job opening at Riverside for an intern, another intern for nine months. Mm-hmm. So I said, I was going to get my master's. But I'm like, you know what? Man, I, I, I'm going to get my two degrees. My mother's happy. I'm the first one to graduate college. Beautiful. You know what? I'm going I'm to I'm apply for this internship over at Riverside for um, it was for a intramural sports assistant mm-hmm. and a uh, events manager. Mm-hmm. All right, that's easy. I read. I'm like, oh man, I can did, I do this stuff in my sleep. You know, looking at the job script. Went over there, man. I'm be honest, man. I'm not. It's not even a gloat. I looked at the program, their manuals, and how far they were behind in the in the field of recreational sports. And I didn't immediately make change. I'm always a person going into anything new. I encourage anybody, when you're going into anything new, you always want to seek to understand, then be understood. Mm. Seek to understand, then be understood. Understand the culture, demographics. Man, I wanted to learn. I wanted to know all that before Mm. I made any changes. But I knew in the back of my head, Dominique, that we had to make changes. So um, once I saw the internship, I, I called my mother, told her I interviewed, and I got the job. She was excited. She was happy for me. She said, hey, go test your horizon. Who knows that job? That may turn into a job for you. So she spoke that into existence. Mm-hmm. Because within six months of being here, Dominic, they offered me a full-time job at Riverside. And it's because, man, I was cooking. I, 
I was just so shocked at how far Riverside was in regards to their programming, mm-hmm. their best practices, their trainings, their risk management. I was like, what? What? You know, but hey, listen, that job in recreation mm-hmm. made me the man I am in my adult life. Mm-hmm. I had. I've had some great mentors and our director, our current director, Lindy Phoenix, great mentor um, in regards to how he operates, how he allows you to grow, the educational tools he instills in you, how he allows you to fail, but then congratulates you on your failures and your successes. So I've learned a lot of my management style and my leadership style from Lindy, but also adding my own who I am mm-hmm. into uh my style. So that's kind of what brought me out. But I, I, I'll, I'll take it back just one sec. Before coming out, after the UCLA internship, we go home. And uh, I go I go, I go, go to Baton Rouge. I'm just going to kind of do my rounds till everybody by. I'm going here and then. We have a storm that hits. Mm-hmm. Um, it's called Hurricane Katrina. Um, I got to tell you, man, even when I think about it now, um, I can talk about it, but it, it, it knocks up my throat. Uh, not even because not just just the loss of life the response mm. uh, how we were treated on the news mm. how we were called refugees when we were born here raised here in the United States but we were being called we were being we were being called refugees uh, that, that, that hurt man and I gotta tell you this told me how much more further as African Americans we have to go yeah. when you listen to that. So I actually called Riverside, man, and told him that there's no way I could be there when y'all needed me there to report to my first day of work. I said, I got to stay and help my people. And he said, well, what is that? That just means, man, we they were coming in bus loads, man, to Texas, just kind of re, re, um, reorganizing people in different places because New Orleans was underwater. It was like in a fishbowl. Baton Rouge don't get a lot of talk, but it was also flooded, man. Yeah, Baton Rouge was flooded too. Uh, Texas flooded a little bit, but we had people coming in drones on buses, man. They needed places to stay. They needed food, man. So I was on the ground, brother. I'm yeah. proud of that to this day, man. I was on the ground relocating people, man, helping mm. people get to churches, setting up beds, uh, loading food. I did, I did that before I came out of here. And after about two weeks... I said, okay, I think I've done enough. We have enough people helping. Um, I didn't want Riverside to not give me the job. So I said, and then I got to be honest, Dominique, I needed to leave. I needed a break. You know, you're seeing these people screaming. They're hollering every night because they've lost everything. And I don't think people know what that feels like. You've lost every single thing but your pants, your shirt, your shoes on your feet. You don't have nothing else because it's underwater. Mm. It's underwater, and I'm, I'm hearing this for almost 14 to 16 days straight because I'm, like I said, man, I'm grinding, man, because it's meant so much to me to help people during that time, man. You know, that's that's a symbol of your character because I could have easily just said, well, hey, man, that ain't got nothing to do with me. I'm going to start my job, man. But a lot of people affected was us, man. That was yeah. us under the water, them rescuing us in boats and stuff yeah. and relocating us on buses. So, you know, uh, Again, that that taught me a lot about what this country at the time 
and even still today, thinks about us to a certain degree. Mm. Um, you know, I, 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 you know, I think it really kind of gets lost on people, and it's it's kind of just like a symptom of a lot of Black history, right? But you know, I I don't know if people still fully comprehend, you know, how devastating Katrina was, you know, obviously to the people who were directly affected by it in terms of, uh, you know, geographic location, you know, being in the storm. Um, But, you know, I've always said that we as black people, we experience trauma vicariously, right? Um, I don't have to have literally experienced a certain traumatic um, event to empathize with the brother or sister that I witnessed going through that, you know? Um, and I was, I think in like sixth, seventh ish grade or so. Um, and one of my childhood friends that I kind of grew up with throughout elementary school, they moved back, um, to new Orleans. Cause that's where all of his family is from. And, uh, you know, even as small of a connection that is, you know, I lost contact with him after uh, Katrina, you know, and it's not to say that something tragic happened to him, at least I hope not. But, you know, it it affected me. It, it meant something to me. And even as a kid kind of witnessing the response of, you know, the country to that, it, it was really jarring, you know, um, mm. it was really jarring to say the least. So I want to kind of take all of like that, that history, that context, um, those experiences that you've had throughout childhood, college, you know, Katrina, and kind of culminate them into your role at UCR and how, you know, you're a voice and supportive for black students on this campus. Absolutely. Um, So, you know, when I first got, when I first started my journey at UCR, one of the things that I really saw the lack thereof, at least in the in the sports and the recreation department, uh, was establishing a black community. And in my mind, I said, "Well, what's the best way that we could bring we could really bring black people together in regards to just community and growth?" And that's sports and recreation, you know, that's sports and recreation. So I really wanted to use my platform and use being Greek because at that time we had when I was here we had the Alpha Alpha was on the yard the, the campus was on the yard we had a few Sigmas on the yard and we had the Omegas well these and I remember the AKs I remember the Deltas being on the yard then as well the SG Rose and even a few Zetas and I said wow look at this network this is this, this is a network that I need to tap into to try to bring us all together because they know everybody. These these orgs know everyone. Mm-hmm. So um, what we, we did, what we had, we I had Greek leagues at first, but uh, student affairs told me they didn't recognize them as Greek. They recognized them as student orgs. I said, mm, that's a, that's a different approach to looking at it. I didn't I didn't go against the grain. I mm-hmm. thought it was unique and made Riverside unique and calling everybody as student orgs versus Greeks. Mm-hmm. Greeks and then versus student orgs. In the South, there's Greek life, mm-hmm. there's student lords. Um, it's mm-hmm. a distinct difference, Dominique. And listen, they, they don't get them twisted. 
Mm-hmm. No, 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 no. We Greek. You know, mm-hmm. that's kind of that mantra. That's kind of that that arrogance about being Greek in the South. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, a couple of things. So, I really wanted to make a conscious effort to bring people together through sports. And I said, you know what? I have to. I have to look at the demographics of the staff. I wanted to hire more African Americans on staff mm-hmm. because now, if you work here, you're really going to talk about your job to other people in the in the great things we we do. One thing about intramural sports. It's a word of mouth program. It really is. You can you can market intramurals as much as you want, but until people start talking about their experiences, start talking about what they've gained from it, whether it be mental, physical, or you know, just 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 all around well being, it's not gonna take off. Um, so once I did once I tapped into that and started hiring more African Americans and uh, um, uh, and really, that was the base. Hiring more African Americans, then letting African Americans know, letting our students, black students, know that hey, I'm here. I'm here. I'm, I want to. I want to promote some sports. I want to offer some, you know, some uncharacteristic things. Just mm-hmm. I have open door policy. You know, let's have some roundtables where we talk. And back in I think 08, 09, uh Probably a little bit before that, probably it was probably 06, 07, we saw the powder puff. Pop popular. I mean popular and and when I say competitive, competitive. So mm. every year we before black grad, we have a powder puff tournament where we've had about we've have we've we'd have about eight teams. It'll be ten dollars a person because you want to keep it low. Now, me personally, I didn't charge anything. I provided referees, I provided all the field space and all the equipment. And also structured all the tournaments for them. And all they had to do was be on their best behavior. I know we go compete. We go say some stuff. <laughs> but at the end of the day, this is community. This is family. Yeah. Keep that in mind. So in all our meetings, that's what I would preach. This is community. This is family. We can always play again. Mm-hmm. You know. Uh, so the coaches will be into it. And I'm talking about, Dominic, it was a great time, man. Uh, I was out there the entire time. And I didn't have to be. But I just enjoyed being around all these parents. They're seeing that their kids play sports. Mm-hmm. That's, that's their full weekend. And then the money that we made from those tournaments went back to black grad. Because mm-hmm. they, they had a ceremony over in the Student Recreation Center. Because as you know, we don't charge student orgs for the facility usage over there. Mm-hmm. So they make a, a nice chunk. And the money would go back to them. Um, so that's that's one of the, one of the key ways is... Uh, in regards to me, really helping black students is providing an outlet for them just come over and kick it with me, mm-hmm. but also hiring them, mentoring them, giving them a place, and then also looking at other opportunities. So another uh, opportunity that we provided was um, allowing teams to go play other schools. So a lot of people think intramurals is just you're going to play each other for like five weeks and that's it. No, no, no. Mm-hmm. You can actually go to a regional tournament. And play other schools, and if you do well there, you go to the national tournament. And these these kids had no idea. So to be honest, most of my teams I've sent, they have been brothers because they typically excel in sports. Nothing against anybody else. We we got some damn good teams on all type of ethnicities. But the teams that I've been sending have been uh, uh, black males, and I, they come back like, "Kev, man, that was fun." Wow, that was fun. We, and this is us providing their hotels. 
we, we pay for the, with the actual vehicle to take them down there. And then when I'm down there, I typically take some of them out to eat or I'll give them, you know, Gatorade snacks for the room. And just tell them, hey, remember, you represent something bigger than yourself. Appreciate this opportunity to enhance your experience as a UCR student, but also a UCR black student, man. Mm-hmm. And here's what we can do for you. And I would love to do more more things like that. I know the pandemic is, is really going to put some things on our budget moving forward. Uh, but those are just some things that uh, that I have taken taken pride in in really trying to cultivate the black experience yeah. through sports and recreation. And, you know, I <clears throat> I appreciate you sharing that because, you know, the whole point of this uh, podcast has to been to really capture the full breadth of the black experience here at UCR and how it manifests itself in so many ways from the school of medicine to student affairs to history to recreational sports. Right. Um, And I think one of the key things that you kind of pointed out in that story really is that, you know, what you provided to, you know, students, but in particular, like the black students that really you know, took a lot of value out of the the programs that you did is you provided them with access to resources. You know what I'm saying? Um, And that's what I want all of the prospective students that are watching to understand is like the people that you are watching in these interviews and that are sharing their stories and how it influences their work. These are people with access to resources, with knowledge, um, and that can really help enhance your experience and not only enhance your experience, but just really kind of set you on that path um, to being successful. Um, and so I just, you know, I kind of just want you from your perspective, you know, you, you know, a lot of you talked about the importance. You said, thank God for sports uh, in context of your own life. Right. So just kind of tie in that whole feeling that you had towards sports um, and kind of how like what what is it about sports that seems to resonate with our people? Because in some cases, right, you know, it, it can be depending on how you frame it, right? It, you don't want our people to, you know, feel like the only way to success or getting out of their situation is through sports. But, you know, there is something very objectively valuable about the underlying principles that sports in, uh, that sports instill in us, especially us as black people. I think we have a very intimate relationship with sports in general for better or for worse. Right. You know, um, so kind of just talk to us about that experience and really how sports has enhanced the lives of black students at UCR and maybe even students who weren't into sports prior to, to rec sports. Can you kind of shed Absolutely, some light on that? Man. Yeah, I think that's 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 an outstanding question, and uh, well, one one that I actually appreciate because um, um, I have a philosophy about sports, and mm-hmm. and to be honest, uh, when you look at sports in its entirety and recreation, it brings everybody together, and everybody has a role. You know what I mean by that is that soccer, I can't play soccer at all. Mm-hmm. But I'll be the best damn fan on the sideline. Mm-hmm. And if I can't be a fan, um, what else? How else can I get involved? Right. Sports provides everybody with a role, and that's one of the unique parts about it. You're going to have your hecklers that's going to come to the game and heckle the referees because that's what they do. You're going to have your young men that's going to come and they just want to show off their new their new Nikes or their new Jordans. 
uh, uh, our young ladies go come with the, with the hair done, and they just there, and they don't know what's going on until it's a good game at the, into the end. And that could be men, men, male or female. And we don't know a thing about it. We know it's hyped. We know the people are hyped. We know we're having a community. We know there's one side over there. And right now, we're, we're opponents. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, we're family. And at the, at the end of this game, we go meet in the middle of the field, talk about the game, talk about how the refs cheated, and then we're going to get away cafe after this. So, in regards to sports, man, it just and that, it not only brings community, it cultivates a community. And when you set up something that's going to be traditional, this is something that we look forward to. So when you when you establish something that's a tradition, now what else can we do? What else can we do? We know we're going to play the game. Is there a dinner before this? Is there a dinner after this? Um, um, can we have somebody that's going to take stats? Do we have this outstanding black person like this man, Dominique, that operates, that can be an announcer at the game now, that's going to be making jokes during the game? It's one of those things, man, that is really, when I say cultivates community and enhances community, that's what sports does. So each year we can add something new to it. If you really don't want to play or now, hey, we're going to add a throwing contest. We're going to add a kicking contest. So even if you don't play, you can't catch a cold. You know, mm-hmm. but I can kick, you know, best jersey. Everybody show up that night, best jersey, go get a free shirt. Whatever best jersey, whatever best California team you come with, that's going to get a, a, a shirt. So that's that's the thing that I love about it is that it provides so much opportunity without being an athlete. Sports ain't for everybody. But sports can be for everybody depending on what aspect. Yes, you want to look at it and what lens you want to look at. Where's my role at in sports? Um, and that's so. So, really, that was my whole theory in regards to when we were doing powder puff and things like that. Um, and I don't know what happened. I think a lot of the pioneers um, in regards to students they graduated, and <clears throat> you go through peaks and valleys when it comes to stuff like that. Um, and I think that's that's what happened. Oh, so sorry, I me. Mean, it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> hey, he still listen. My 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 oldest son has special needs, and he just hey wherever dad is, I want to be. Which is period. Okay, what's going on? Get out but of man, my can way. I, can I can I rap with Dominique right now? Can you, can you give me this hour, son? You give me all the other hours. Come on, man. But I'm sorry, going back to what I was saying, man. Yes, that's so, 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 so that's why I always want people to understand is that, hey, we always look for assistant coaches. You know, we're looking for people that, that want to help with equipment and all that good stuff. Um, and I'm be honest with you, man. I'm, I'm, I didn't say it earlier, but I'm also a referee that mm-hmm. does high school and college. And I have some, some guys now and ladies that do college. So some young ladies right now that do Division two higher than me that I've that come through the program. And now they are college referees. So, you know, if you want to get between the lines, either playing or refereeing, that's an opportunity. If you want to stay outside the line, just keep scoring. Monitor the sidelines. It's one of my managers. There's an opportunity. You know, it's so many opportunities to do sports. And I think when you break sports and recreation down, it's just what I, what I like to call a lake of opportunity 
and a sea of growth. Mm. No, I think that's, you know, I think that's beautifully said. And, you know, again, just to reiterate, like, that's why it's so important to have so many perspectives from all around campus, because when we talk about access to resources and opportunities, you can find it in so many different ways, so many different facets, you know, from the entomology department to to sports and rec, you know what I'm saying? Like there's people in these places that, you know, want to help um, students succeed. But, you know, in particular, they're really there to mentor and help guide black students that are looking for that outlet, that are looking for those resources, that are looking for those opportunities. Um, we're here for you. Um, we're here for you. And we're, you know, we're dedicated to, you know, really making your experience as enhanced as possible. So the last question, you know, before we get out of here, Kev, um, you know, just thinking back to the history of our people, you know, their, their sense of forethought and optimism and hope, you know, for future generations is what's allowing me and you to have such a wonderful conversation right now. So talk to me about your vision, your optimism, your hope for, you know, your most optimistic vision for the future when it comes to future black uh, UCR scholars. Okay. Well, you know, in this, in this time we in and, you know, um, that, you know, you mean you ask some excellent questions, man, and uh, ones that you want to answer, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, in this climate we're in right now, I think it's very important, extremely important, extremely relevant at the University of California Riverside is for us to not only display open arms to black students, but also ensure that their black experience at UCR will be a, minim- a, a memorable one. Mm. And I'll, I'll dive into that a little bit. When we typically go to college, it's to find ourselves. One thing I love about the recreation department is that it's so diverse. I think we've done an extent, outstanding job in our hiring over in the recreation department and being diverse with different ethnicities and really valuing diversity. Um, I think UCR as a whole, the campus, has done an outstanding job with the diversity aspect of making sure that we harness those values of UCR and and, and, and understanding that diversity and ethnicity um, ethnicity are roots to growth. Roots to growth. And with that being said, one thing that I would love, I would love in my vision for black students is when they come to UCR, yes, they're going to grow in the most diverse way because of our campus, because of what UCR stands for. But I also want them to understand that they're going to grow as black professionals, as black people. They're going to grow in a way that they haven't grown before because just the sheer nature of everybody I've met on campus, man, there's diversity within the black community. Mm. And not just skin color, where we come from, where we've been, and where the hell we're going. I want our students to know they're going to get that. You're going to have a diversity experience, an educational experience, and a black experience. Yes, sir. And I think it's, it's okay to say that and be unapologetic about it. Mm. 
be unapologetic about it because it's not about uh, separation. It's all about education on who we are and really growing each other and meeting those meaningful relationships. You know, life is about relationships, man. You know, uh, and uh, the more we harness them, the better we are in life, you know, in regards to service and really helping each other. Um, and that's, that's that, that would kind of be my um, vision mm. in regards to black students coming through UCR. And um, I love the black networks we have right now, the PASPA, um, uh, the, the, the noon meetings. But I would also really encourage our students to do more programs. And they have to, when we say program, oh, man, I don't want to get dressed up or roundtable discussions to really strengthen us as a community. And, hey, I'll be the first one to come out post-COVID and sit at some of those tables. Yeah. I think after this COVID thing, if I'm being honest with you, we're going to need each other. We're going to need each other. Mm. In regards to employment, consolidating resources, and just growing as people. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Um, you know, I, I I think that's a beautiful vision. You know, I don't think I could have said it any better myself. But you know that that's that's what we're that's what we have for black students. Um, we recognize issues, um, and we're actively constantly actively working towards making sure that the black experience here at UCR is empowering and it's nurturing and it's loving and it's empathetic. And, you know, we have a lot of resources here. Um, and I want students to understand that. Um, and we have people that can identify with you that can relate for you, uh, relate with you, um, and really connect with you on a cultural level that you're looking for. Um, because, you know, like you said, the diversity of our black population here on campus is, you know, one of the real shining points just from people, even if people are, quote unquote, from the same area, like just their lived experience is so varied, you know, not even considering the fact that we have, you know, brothers and sisters from the continent and from the Caribbean and different parts of the world culminating here on campus to make the black experience as well. So, Mr. Kevin Martin, um, Thank you so much for joining us on Blue, Gold, and Black. We were super happy to uh, amplify your voice today. Thank you for sharing your insights, your experiences with our audience, um, and just being someone that black students can depend on and go to for support. We really appreciate you. Absolutely, man. And thank you for having me. Um, and I have open door policy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm willing to have the hard discussions. Um, the most important conversations are oftentimes the hard ones. Yes, and, uh, you know, um, as long as your approach is correct and, and that just means your heart is in the right place. I think conversation breeds growth. Mm. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Absolutely. So thank you so much. Hopefully we can have you back on the show to just keep pushing this conversation forward as we move through um, these new normals that everyone's trying to get adapted to. But once again, thank you for joining us on Blue, Gold and Black and everybody will catch you for the next episode. All right. Yeah. You stay safe, man. And thank you again, Dominique. Outstanding job, brother. No doubt. No doubt. Thank you. Thank you.
Thank you for joining us on Blue, Gold, and Black. This program is produced by the Community Engagement and Outreach Unit of Undergraduate Admissions at the University of California, Riverside. Learn more about attending UCR by visiting admissions.ucr.edu. And be sure to check out the description for other useful links and resources. Help support this podcast by liking, subscribing, and sharing. And be sure to check out our podcast videos on YouTube. Catch you guys later. Yeah.